Good morning. And for those who are watching at home, good morning. Uh, my name is Bruce. Uh, money. Money is a danger and it's a blessing. Every coin has two sides, whether it's a Roman one with the emperor on it. Uh, this one happens to have uh, Ike Eisenhower on it. Money is a danger. Money is a blessing. Two sides of the same coin. Which one's it going to be for us? Uh, the Bible has lots to say about money. It's a blessing and it's a danger. Uh, we live in one of the wealthiest nations in history. Blessing. Danger. We've just passed 31 and a half million, half a trillion in national debt. Ooh. A blessing and a danger. Money can be a tremendous tool to use for God's purposes and bless others. Or it can be a horrible slave master that brings anxiety, greed, self-indulgence. More than 2,000 verses in the Bible address money, wealth, possessions, or are parables about those. And the biblical discussion on money can be boiled down to Money is a blessing. Money is a danger. Which one will it be for you and for me? It's a danger because it can cause ingratitude. It's a blessing because it's a window into our hearts. It's a danger because <coughs> it causes discontent and envy. It's a blessing because it lets us respond to the needs of others. I'm going to grab my water right now. It is a danger because it can lead to self-indulgence and greed. It is a blessing because it connects us to the bigger kingdom outside ourselves. I shied away from talking about money. Um, I was one of those pastors that didn't like talking about it because I like people to like me. <laughs> and who wants to talk about their stuff and their money? People get uncomfortable. So I shied away from talking about it, but God changed that. I got very convicted about, as much as God talks about money, that means it's part of relationship with him. And it's something that's in our face every single day. And if we're supposed to be learning how to follow Jesus together, then that means learning how to view and what to do with our money and our stuff and our possessions. That's just part of walking with him. So that's changed my attitude and my convictions. I think church is the best place to talk about money and possessions and stuff. This isn't a place to fear talking about money. Instead, it's the best spot to receive help and the recovery from bad money decisions, bad money priorities, and recognizing it all belongs to him. So that's why we're doing a wide open preaching series this month. Week one, Kip talked about our giver God. He said, what you do with money reveals and reinforces what you love. And he took us to James chapter one. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He had us pause and think through, what are some of God's good and perfect gifts to me. 
So that our giver God wants his children to reflect his wide open generosity. Then last week, Sammy Eider took us to for the joy of it. We're in 1 Chronicles 29, looking at uh, the king, then the leaders, then all the people. They gave thanks to God for the joy of being able to give. And he challenged us to perform a generosity self-appraisal. How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Now, some of you are thinking, well, this series is all about the building project, the generosity initiative, right? Yes and no. The no, because my prayer during this series is that God will move in the hearts of all of us about generosity, but especially in half of us. About half of us don't give. Probably a bunch of reasons. Maybe giving to other causes, but about half don't give. That means that part of following Jesus that is generosity and the joy that comes with generosity is being missed out on. We might give elsewhere, but not to this local church. So that comes first. Then is it about the project? Yep, because as it was shared last week, uh, this is a great learning lab for all of us to take next steps in terms of our generosity. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to be in 8 and 9 this morning. If you're using a Bible in front of you, it's page 939. Page 939. In our uh, booklets on Wide Open, page 30 is the page that is the spot to take some notes on this message. I hope you'll do that. Uh, page 30. So page 939. Uh, this is the longest passage in the New Testament on giving. Chapters 8 and 9. And there's something about it that intrigues me, which I'll say in just a minute. Uh, Paul spent much of five years of ministry in his life on uh, devoting his time and energy to organizing a collection that was going to go to the believers back in Jerusalem and the area around it, Judea. They were in poverty, and so he, as he made his missionary journeys, was having them take a collection to help them. We find out in Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul's final visit to Jerusalem, there's a delegation that delivers that offering in Jerusalem. And on that delegation, he takes along people that are from several different provinces. Uh, he takes some from Galatia, and he takes some people from Macedonia, and some from Asia, and some from Achaia, all in the middle of the map, and they're all going from these churches that are a mix of Jew and Gentile to take the offering to help their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. What was wrong in Jerusalem? Famine, extreme poverty, food shortage, and heavy, heavy taxation by the Jews and the Romans. So the context here, chapters 8 and 9, is this offering to help those back in Jerusalem. What intrigues me about the passage is it says nothing about their giving at Corinth. Hmm. Did they not give to any needs in the house church they were a part of in Corinth or the network of house churches in and around Corinth? I think that's very unlikely. 
So I can't prove it to you, but my conviction is they're already giving and generous in meeting the needs of their brothers and sisters right in Corinth. And this is now instruction about, here's the way you can bless somebody you've never met. Ooh, that intrigues me. He starts the passage off by talking about models of generosity. So the beginning. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's the example, the model they're supposed to look at. The churches up north. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. We usually don't put together severe trial and overflowing joy, much less extreme poverty. And that welled up in rich generosity for the Macedonians. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, part of Paul's team on the missionary journey, we urged him just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel in this grace of giving. They pleaded, notice verse 4, they begged for the chance to be part of the offering. Wow. That's their rich generosity. Verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord first and then to the project and the need and the concern. See, we are never going to grow in our generosity unless we've given ourselves to the Lord first. So we have two ways we approach uh, life and our money. Uh, our illustration here, some of you will remember five years ago. There we go. Uh, here's $100 bills. We live either 100 slash 90 or we live 10 slash 90. 100 slash 90, that is, oh, it all belongs to him. It's all his. And then three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He, he's told us something about tithing, a tenth. There you go. And the other 90, he's entrusted to me and I get to figure out how to manage it as his money manager. It all belongs to him, and I get the joy of figuring out how to live with the other 90. Or we live 1090. That is, that is, okay. Yep, God expects a 10% tax. And the other 90 is, I earned it. I'll figure out what to do with it. Yeah, I'll pay him his tax. I'll, I'll do what he said, but then I figure this out. No one grows in generosity if the ownership is about me. It's mine. I earned it. We grow in generosity when we figure out 
It all belongs to him. That was the passage last week in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14. They all prayed. We stood up and read it together. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we've given you only what comes from your hand. That only comes after verse 5 when we give ourselves to the Lord first. And then have the joy of jumping in and giving. Uh, let me ask you, which one comes natural for us? 10 slash 90 or 100 slash 90? Our default to every one of us is 10 slash 90. We work. We earn it. It's ours. Oh, yeah, I guess I need to think about God in this. Default is 10 slash 90. Joy and generosity and freedom is in 100 slash 90, and that's what God invites us into. Uh, interesting that in this passage, uh, one word keeps showing up over and over and over. Grace. Huh. It's what God has shown to us. We could never earn or deserve what he's done for us, but it's his grace. And that's the word that's used in these two chapters to describe giving. So we translate it, excel in this grace of giving. No, it's excel in grace. Just happens to be in a giving project. Grace. It shows up ten times here. I'm so thankful for the examples of generosity in our church family. I was thinking this week about one couple. Life has not turned out the way they expected it has been one challenge and struggle and test after another. It's been what I call miserable. And yet they're some of the most generous people I've ever met in terms of their time, their money, their service, their selflessness. I think of another example, a model of generosity. We all need to look at models of generosity. They needed to look at Macedonians. We need to look at examples and models also. Young couple, they're double income. Uh, what I know about their jobs, they got lots of money. They got plenty. And yet they're so committed to stewardship, they've pursued Financial Peace University. Huh. Another one was a widow that when it was the Link Project, she sat down with me and said, if he was still here, I know he'd want us in on what is involved, he'd want us in on this. I just don't know. He, he took care of me that when he was gone, there'd be something for me to live on. I'm not sure how much I should give. And so I'm going to work on that. It was awesome. A widower that has spent hours and hours and hours with dozens of families helping them develop budgets and find financial freedom. Wow. Models of generosity. Well, Paul points to the models, and then he pleads with them. Verse 8, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Who? Those folks up north who've been generous out of their poverty. He says, I'm not commanding you, I'm testing you. So, is tithing a command? Lots of debate in the church about this on... Um, is tithing, giving 10% a New Testament thing? There's no mention of tithing 
after the Gospels in the New Testament. The command to tithe is not restated, nor is it withdrawn. And so what has shaped me is that every example of giving in the New Testament is beyond the tithe, I think including this one. And therefore, that makes me say, oh, yeah, uh, we, we don't get to skip past who's it belong to. So he pleads with them, and that's why uh, Pastor Kip said last week, yep, here, the way we say it is uh, that 10%, that's the goal we are all shooting to obey and be part of, and then it becomes the springboard into, oh, what else do I get to do in terms of growing in my generosity? So we've got a number of things uh, I want to... So uh, the best thing I've ever read on generosity is Randy Alcorn. He covers every verse in the Bible in this. If you want to dig in, this is really good, really long. You want the Reader's Digest version? It's called The Treasure Principle. We have some of these here. And a number of years ago, our pastoral team decided we're going to put together biblical perspectives on money, possessions, and generosity. We've got a bunch of these at WL Central this morning. I'd love to run out of them. Uh, this is dealing with insurance, debt, uh, financial planning, you name it, it's in here. I encourage you to pick one up. It's a great way to learn more on your generosity journey. Look at uh, verse 10. He says, here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. What is best for you in this matter? And he goes on to say, follow through on your attention. Go ahead and be part of this. Uh, take the next step in generosity. It's what is best for you. What's best for our souls is generosity. So we see generosity is about what God wants for us, not what he wants from us. And he points at another example, the best example of giving and generosity is Jesus. Verse 9. Here is the gospel in one verse. The good news in one verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, Yahweh, Jesus, Savior, Christ, Messiah. You know what he did? Though he was rich, existence in heaven with God the Father, yet for your sake he became poor. How do you do that? Came to earth, became flesh, took on flesh, lived among us, died for our sins, resurrected from the dead. For your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. How do we become rich? He offered us forgiveness and purpose and salvation and eternal life. He points at that example of the Macedonians and then Jesus, verse 9, and says, be like that. Be like that. The rest of the chapter is Paul saying, okay, I want you to follow through. Go from intentions to action, from willingness 
to completion. So that had me thinking this week, what are the things that derail our best intentions? We're all sitting here looking at God's word and going, yep, yeah, we need to talk about that. Yeah, I want to take next steps. What derails us? First thing, scarcity. If I tithe, there won't be enough. Won't be enough left over. I don't know if I can live on that. I talked to somebody this week that said, yep, God had to bring me to the absolute bottom till I said, okay, I'll tithe. And he said, from the time we decided to tithe, we've never looked back and never regret it. He said, in fact, uh, everybody I've talked to who's ever made the decision they're going to tithe, I've never met anyone who said, oh, I regret making that decision. Why? Because what we're going to see in a minute in chapter 9. God knows how to take care of his people. What uh, derails our best intentions? Money personalities. Uh, The Palmers have described four different money personalities. Maybe there's more, but they say people are either spenders, savers, risk takers, or flyers. means fly by the seat of your pants in terms of finances. People are one of the four. You know why finances are the number one cause of marital tension and divorce? Because almost never are a husband and wife the same money personality. Almost never. That means there's tension. That means we've got to walk through this and figure out how we're going to honor God with what he's entrusted to us. And we're coming at it from different spots. What derails us? Shame and indebtedness. So, I believe in blowing up the secrecy, getting rid of financial shame. Uh, You've heard me say before, our finances are personal, but are not to be private. So who knows about your budget? Who knows about your giving? Who knows about uh, your bills? Who knows about your approach to generosity? Who knows about your debt position? If your answer is no one, you're in a dangerous spot. If you're married, at least your spouse should know. It's best if someone in your life group, your prayer partner, your accountability partner, someone that you serve side by side with here, you have this kind of conversation because the shame and the secrecy leaves us stuck. And here's the truth. If if you could have gotten out of the mess and the feeling of being stuck and the shame that comes with it, if you could have figured out how to get out of it yourself, you already would have. Because nobody likes living in that. So they asked in speaking team this week, well, who can help me? Good, blow up the secrecy and pursue someone that'll help. I've got four on my list right now, and I'm waiting to hear back from several others that we've got folks that have helped lots of people work through, gather your numbers, figure out where to start with a budget, how to take next steps. And there are people in this church family that are willing to come alongside you and help. Wisdom says, ask for help. Fourth thing, that derails our intentions. Fearful or stingy heart. 
It starts with the heart. That's why we started the sermon series there. Uh, here's how Paul David Tripp says it. The war of money isn't first a battle about the amount of money you make or the degree to which you've constructed a rational budget to follow. No, this battle, financial battle, is a deeply spiritual battle. Our problem isn't first about info or administration. It's the thoughts and desires of our hearts. Whatever amount of money we have, our relationship to and use of money will be determined by how our heart interacts with money. And Paul, in this passage, then talks about the heart. So, follow up for you. He's urging them to follow through on their good intentions. What's follow through for us? Kip took us there in the booklet, pages 20 and 21 in the booklet, the generosity journey. What's our next step for each of us? What's your next step? Well, the rest of this chapter, all the way down through 9, chapter 9, verse 5, is all about follow through on your intentions. Go ahead, get the gift ready. I'm sending Titus and two others ahead to get it ready uh, so that when I arrive, I'll be able to pick it up and the delegation will deliver it to Jerusalem. So the rest of this is, he's saying, follow through. And I want you to notice verses 20 and 21 because he, he includes the issue of fiscal integrity. Verse 20, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. No banks back then. There had been banks at pagan temples, but followers of Jesus no longer did that. So the gifts that are collected, how are they going to be handled? He's saying we're going to handle them in a way that is above board and right and with integrity. I'm thankful for our business commission, our finance people. When you give a gift, you don't have to worry about it. Is it going to get embezzled? Is somebody going to lose track of it? Is money going to disappear? So I wanted you to see verse 20 and 21, at pains to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, but also the eyes of men. And then he has talked about, uh, I said what, what derails us is a, a heart that's off. That's where he goes next in chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He gives him a little proverb. Uh, stingy sowing, stingy harvest. Generous sowing, generous harvest. The way they used to sow in a field was all by hand. Reach into the seed bag and toss it. Grab a few seeds, put it on the soil, you're going to get a small harvest. Grab a bunch, you're going to get a lot. Gives them the proverb. Uh, a lot of people have taken this passage to say, okay, well this means give like a generous person and God will make you wealthy. Is that what it says? Let's look at what it says. Uh, the key to it is verse 8 and verse 11. 8, then God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, 
Your generosity will, through us meaning we're going to deliver the gift, through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God in the hearts of the people in Jerusalem who get the gift you have generously given for them. So verse 8 and verse 11 are just saying, if you live generously, if you don't have a stingy heart, does God know how to take care of you? Yep. So that thing of, oh, if I honor him, I won't have enough left, is a deficient view of who is he? Does he know how to take care of us? It's not a, oh, you give generously and God will owe you and he'll pay you back plus. Okay? He's able to take care of his people. And he points then at motive. Motive in giving. You know, none of us are guilted into generosity. That's why 10 slash 90 never works in the long haul. That's why God has invited us into 100 slash 90. And the motive is in verse 7. Each of us should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. The wrong motives are reluctant, or you twisted my arm, or you guilted me into it. Okay, so why do we have the goal? We want 100% of the church involved in this project. Isn't that compulsion? The reason I'd love to see 100% involved is because of what I said at the beginning. If half don't have the joy of any kind of giving yet, yes, I want to go from 50 to 100 in terms of what God's called us to and invited us into. The right motive? What you've decided in your heart to give. It starts with the heart. For God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, farmers, I called, uh, I called Barry this week. Said, how, how do you decide how much seed to put on a field? The stingy versus generous. It's absolutely amazing. They drill in an acre, drill six to 12 times, and the poorest soil, most depleted, they punch it into the computer and the planter knows to not waste a lot of seed there. The soil that's the best in each acre, punch it into the computer and the most seed is put there. That's verse six being lived out by today's farmers. Here's how um, Tripp says it. There's a way in which you and I are always seeing ourselves as either a container or a conduit for the money we are given. Either we want it to stop with us to make life easier and more pleasurable, or we see ourselves as a pipeline, conduit, and get excited to bless and benefit the lives of others. That's the cheerfulness. I get to be a conduit with what God's entrusted to me. So challenges on our generosity journey. The month has been full of them, hasn't it? So I want to I wanna say this morning, couples, you need to talk about your giving. Where are we? Are we different money personalities? How do we get on the same page with our giving? Doesn't matter if you give EFT, you give with a check. Our couples need to have a conversation about it. Parents, you need to talk about your giving. You need to talk with your children and students about budget, about bills, 
about ownership, about generosity. Growing up, our kids knew that we gave. Uh, they saw me write checks, and they saw us put money in the offering plate. Remember those, pre-COVID? They knew we gave, but I wish I'd done a lot of things different. I didn't talk about our budget. I didn't show them numbers. I didn't show them the bills that came every month, electronically or in snail mail. Uh, parents, you've got great opportunities to teach. Uh, our family discipleship team, bottom of the page for today's sermon, use that QR code, and you get a paper that looks something like this. Activity page to use as a family. It's a great tool, great tool. Want to encourage you to do that. Couples need to talk. Families need to talk. And then, last, what's God uh, calling you to as a next step in generosity? Kip said page 27 in the booklet is pray, listen, respond. Pray, listen respond. We're going to do that right now. I encourage you to take that card that is in uh, the bulletin and I encourage you to take that and uh, we're going to take a couple moments right now as we close to pray, listen, and respond. You can put your name and phone and email on here. Probably don't know yet what your commitment's going to be, but pull that out. Uh, if you're sitting next to a uh, a good friend, or part of your family, in these moments, talk about, when are we going to discuss this? Pull out the phone, set a time, a, a calendar event. We're going to have a conversation. Because we all know, we walk out of here with this tucked in our Bible, when are we going to remember it? Next Sunday morning on the way to church. So we're going to pray, listen, Respond right now. When are we going to talk about this? What's our next step? God, what's my next step? Okay, take the next moments to just, on your own, think about that. And if you need to set a time, if you should set a time with somebody right next to you, discuss that right now.
Father, we're shocked at, uh, and amazed at and so grateful for your generosity to us in Jesus, first of all, and your generosity to us in all that you've provided to us living in this land, your provision, it's amazing. We thank you for giving us teaching in your word and uh, flesh and blood examples of generosity that we can look at and imitate. We ask you to, to open up our hearts, free us. I pray for the kind of financial freedom and joy in the heart of each person in this church family that would uh, reflect the joy and the generosity and the amazement, uh, the, the purpose of life that comes with being conduits, recognizing how good you've been to us. Give us generous hearts. Help us to listen well, respond well. We thank you for our time to be able to worship together today. In Jesus' name, amen.